Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to StageCraft, Variety's theater podcast bringing you in-depth conversations with the creators and stars of the hottest shows on Broadway and beyond. I'm your host, Variety's theater editor, Gordon Cox. On this episode of StageCraft, I'm talking to John Lithgow, the Tony and Emmy-winning star of theater, TV, and film, who's had such a wide-ranging and varied career that it's impossible to know where to start. From the original Broadway production of M. Butterfly, to TV shows like The Crown and Third Rock from the Sun, to movies from Terms of Endearment to The World According to Garp, right on up to Interstellar and Love is Strange and the very recent Pitch Perfect 3. He's now on Broadway with Stories by Heart, a one-man show that's part autobiography and part solo storytelling. He's in the studio to tell us all about that show and more. Hi, John. Thanks for being here. Great to be here. Um, it's pretty rare that you go more than a few years without showing up on Broadway, and it's been no exception with this show. You were last mm-hmm. year in 2014 with A Delicate Balance. Yeah. Um, what keeps bringing you back? I Theater is sort of the beginning of everything for me. It's my tap root. I think even what I do in movies and TV is bring my theater chops to the table. And so I always come back to it. I also just love the New York theater community. What specifically in your in the way you act and how you think of yourself as an actor comes from the theater? I grew up in a theater family. You so, talk about this in the show, of course. Yeah, you're, you're... And uh, I always feel like acting in a play or on stage is the one time when I'm using everything I got. I'm just... Uh, the other thing, very basically, you're sit, you're in the same room with your audience. It's the only time when you're telling the story as other people are listening to it and experiencing it. You don't get that in movies or TV. Uh, it, they, they, of course, have their own thrills, but you see yourself in a movie a year after you did the work. And what you do in film is provide a lot of raw material to other for other people to construct your performance not on stage uh, you know you're not picking the close ups and uh, i mean in a movie you're right. not you're not you do entire scenes where all the pauses are decided by other people not on stage on stage you're completely in control of it and particularly in this show which is just you yeah. up there um, yeah. uh, tell us a little about the show for people who haven't seen it yet 
It's called Stories by Heart. I started it in a kind of workshop setting. You've been working on it for a long, a long time. time, right? I haven't really been working on it. Sure. I've just been doing it. it. Well, uh, the first time you did it was probably 10 years ago, maybe? 10 years or, ago yeah. this March, I think. Right. It's coming right up on 10 years, which astonishes me. And, uh, and how did it come about? Well, the inciting incident was a moment between me and my parents when my father was very old and... Which is described in the piece. And very sick, and it's a part and parcel of the piece. And I read to him from an old book that he had used to read stories to me and my siblings when we were kids, and it delighted him, just at a moment in his life when he most needed that. And from that little moment, well, two things... One, it was it sort of taught me or it made me ruminate on why I do what I do, why actors perform and tell stories, why storytellers tell stories and why we all need to hear them, want, need, and love to hear them. There just simply is no culture anywhere that doesn't have stories, doesn't have the arts. And somehow that little moment between me and my dad crystallized all that. Uh, more precisely than anything I've ever experienced. And that book that you mentioned is, is that the actual book that we That's see on stage? That's the actual That's what book. I figured. Yeah. And the other thing I derived from that moment was discovering this fantastic piece of material. This PG, Which is a book from your childhood, yes? Uh, yeah. And, this, well, this story by P.G. Woodhouse, right. Uncle Fred Flits By, which had been a, a favorite story of ours when we were kids, but I'd completely forgotten it. Right. And I showed this book to them, my mom and dad, when I chose to read them bedtime stories to try to cheer my father up. Yeah. And I told them to pick a story. They picked Uncle Fred Flits By. Right. And as I read to them, it was like a firecracker going off in your hands. It was just this electrifying piece of comedy writing. And I... Quite cynically, the thought went through my mind, wow, all I have to do is memorize this, and I've got a great one-man show. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but, then the more... other, but then the other dimension of it was what I was doing with this story. I was really uh, nourishing the soul of these two old people just when they really desperately needed it. And what we see on stage is more of a, a performance of a piece than it is a, yeah. a reading, right? Yes, I I used two audiobook two right. stories yeah. from this book. Yeah, how did the second one? The second mm -hmm. one uh, I read to my folks also during that month. I, I read them lots of stories. The second one is called Haircut. Yes, Haircut Ring by Lardner. Ring Lardner, and it is. I choose I chose that because it's just a, such a fantastic theater device. It, could almost have been written as a stage piece. Yeah, it's a monologue, right? Every, it's a monologue. Yeah. Every word of the story is told by a barber in a small town in Michigan in the 1920s giving a sh an old-time shave and a haircut to a stranger in town. And the barber chats, as bar barbers do, and tells about the news of the town. And the news he tells, in fact is a, an extremely compelling story, which just grows and grows and grows in suspense. And the unique thing about this is the barber himself doesn't know the true import of the story he's telling, but the audience or the reader do. And uh, that's, it just seemed, wow, what a great companion piece to a wildly funny English drawing room comedy. Were there ever any other stories involved in the piece as you were working on I it? I did try 
incorporating, uh, replacing Haircut with The Monkey's Paw oh. by A.A. A. Jacobs, which really was our genuinely our favorite story back in those days. But The Monkey's Paw and uh, the Woodhouse story are both from this sort of plummy uh, drawing room English, very, very English tradition. And I wanted them to be two very different stories. So I jettisoned that and restored Haircut and positioned it differently. Now I think it works just great. I see. Yeah. And you're working with the director, Daniel Sullivan. This has been an amazing change, yes. Uh, all uh, Jack O'Brien, another wonderful director who got yeah. it started all these years ago, he... Uh, both of these guys I've known for years, and they both come right out of the tradition that they share with my dad. They all know the same actors. Right. My father's protege was Ellis Rabb. Oh, wow. Ellis Rabb's protege was Jack O'Brien. Right, right. Uh, so that we should we say were, we should say actually that your father was a theatrical I, man and ran yes. theater companies. He was an artistic director and yeah. producer created Shakespeare festivals in Ohio. One of them is the Great Lakes Theater Festival, which right. still goes on. I think it was the first equity job Tom Hanks ever had. Oh, is that true? Yes. And he also ran the McCarter Theater in yes. Princeton for 10 years. So he was he was definitely a man of the theater, but he was not particularly well-known back then, and he's completely forgotten now. Mm -hmm. So it's another wonderful dimension to the show is just memorializing my dad. Was it always a foregone conclusion for you growing up in the family that you did that you would be in the theater and or be an actor? Far from it. Absolutely the opposite. Uh, I did a lot of acting. We all did, me and my siblings. Starting In, in shows at the theater company? In shows. We were the little kids. Sure. You know, we were fairies in Midsummer Night's Dream. I was Nora's, one of Nora's children oh, yeah, sure. in the in Doll's house. house with my father playing Torvald. Oh, wow. <laughs> When I was only two and a half years old. Wow. It's an experience I don't remember at all, <laughs> except I was told I was extremely good. No, I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, as a teenager, I became uh, an apprentice for my dad and uh, played all the all those little roles in Shakespeare with one syllable, nim, poins, pinch, froth, mm -hmm. uh, and then graduated to Guildenstern and Hortensio and... Uh, but never Hamlet or Macbeth. Um, so I was an experienced actor just from uh, summer, summer diversions. Right. But then I went to college where you do whatever you're really good at, and I, I became a campus star, and that was that. All right, all right. Broadway has changed quite a lot since, you've, since you first started out. Um, mm -hmm. What's your experience of it? What's been your experience of that, of how it's changed over the years? And where is it now? And how do you think of it in relation to where it was? Well, it's it's similar in a lot of ways and different in a lot of ways. Uh, the 1970s, that was the decade where I, where I was almost entirely a New York theater actor. I think I did about 12 Broadway shows yeah. in that period. New York was so different then, as everybody says. Yep. Uh, the theater district, you wouldn't recognize it. Half the theaters were dark, and all those dark theaters had marquees up of shows that had closed a year before, and they hadn't even had enough money to change the marquee. Mm -hmm. But the shows that were on were, you know, Bob Fosse's shows, Hal Prince's shows, right. 
Little Night Music, Pippin, that championship season, chorus line, uh, just amazing things going on on Broadway and feverish creativity. It was Joe Papp's golden era. It was I and my pals. We were an amazing bunch of young actors. This was when Meryl Streep and Mandy Patinkin and uh, just, just we just had so much fun. And we were, we were theater rats. We were poor theater rats, and we didn't give a damn. Uh, I I don't know how the what the experience, how different the experience is like for young actors now, uh, but uh, it, it certainly was. It was exhilarating. I, I went to uh, Los Angeles in the early '80s when I married a UCLA professor. Not wasn't a professional decision at all. In fact, I hated to leave New York. Hmm. Uh, but that was the only period that I went a long, long time without doing theater. I think there was about a 14-year stretch between M. Butterfly on Broadway mm-hmm. and yep. Sweet Smell of Success on Broadway. That was a right. long, long time. Right, yeah. And I did only one production in Los Angeles of theater. I oh. just somehow... Los Angeles never struck me as a theater town. Maybe after those years in the 1970s. Of course it is. There's a lot of theater that goes on there. But I always, when I do theater, I want to do it back here. Speaking of M. Butterfly, did you get a chance to see the new production? Yes. <laughs> you, you you hesitate. What what did you think? What was it like it was going back to it It was very hard for me. It, it was I, a very different show. I have to it? say it was extremely hard because mm-hmm. it was very different. And I, I, I remembered it as the perfect experience. So, I, in fact, I went with BD. BD and oh, I wow. went to see it together. Yeah, yeah. This is BD Wong who we, started we, in it with we you. We knew we would need each other's company, <laughs> and, and we holding. did. It was very hard to watch. I mean, oh, there was a, really, there was some beautiful work in it. Yeah, know, but and, even uh, the script itself was a very different yes, thing from uh, the David, way you performed. D- right? David yeah. uh, tackled his script, and I think yeah. he wanted to remake it for a different era. Yeah, and. Uh, I was stuck back in 1988 watching it. Sure. And is that, do you have a sort of list in your head of kind of your favorite experiences on stage? Is that one of them? That was a pinnacle. That was a peak experience. Yeah. Uh, there, there have been plenty. I mean, certainly my Broadway debut in The Changing Room. Right. Uh, For long, which you won a Tony Award, as I recall. Yes, yep. yes. Two and a half weeks after my Broadway debut, <laughs> I think I Excellent. surely hold the record for the quickest Tony win yep. after a Broadway <laughs> debut. Uh, that was unbelievably exciting. It was a Long Wharf production that came in intact with its entire twenty-two man cast. Wow, an amazing experience. Mm. Trelawney of the Wells yep. at Lincoln Center was a great, great time. Uh, so many others. I mean, the two musicals I did were an out-of-body experience. Right. I never thought I'd be in a Broadway musical, and they were just heaven. That was. I was actually going to ask you if you consider yourself... I assume you consider yourself more of a play guy, but you've done musicals as well. Do you... What's your... Yes, I, I do consider myself more than a play guy. I feel like a fraud. I'm almost embarrassed that I won a Tony Award for Best Actor in a Musical. <laughs> this is for Sweet Smell of Success. <laughs> yes, right. When was that? Maybe 2002 Yeah, maybe? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Are there lessons that you uh, that what what have been some of the biggest lessons that you've learned over your career, specifically from the theater? Well, I think the, 
I always tell young people, do theater, do theater, uh, you know, start out in theater. Don't, don't aspire to anything else because the stage is where you learn who you are as an actor, what you're good at and, and just as important, what you're not especially good at. And if you're not good at something, how to get better at it. Yeah. Uh, and to be bold, you know, to keep trying, do do the things you're afraid to do. Yeah. Did, did you find as you were, particularly, I guess, in that period where you did more screen work than stage work, uh, did you find it a challenge to adjust to the the screen as opposed to, you know, having calibrated yourself as a stage actor for so long? Or, or... I, th- I think at first I did. Yeah. There, there was a big breakthrough moment when I was in the Twilight Zone movie uh, yes. of, of all things yep. and and my director of it was an omnibus film it was right. one of the four short films right this is the one on the plane as the, i recall the, the, the monster yeah. on the on the wing yeah yeah uh, terror at 35,000 feet uh, or yes. something like that yeah. and the the director was George Miller uh, mm. the Australian director of the Mad Max yes. movies and Happy Feet and, yeah. and and Fury Road all this he was Great. Uh, up until George, mm. every uh, every f- film director I'd worked with had constantly told me to keep it down, take it down. You'd done a fair amount session. of work with De Palma by that point, yes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's funny. But George was so ex- – ex- nothing was ever enough for him. He wanted it more, more. And you know, look, you look at his films. They yeah, are exactly. Op- operatic. That. Yeah. And to me, it was like, oh, boy, finally, somebody wants what I got. In fact, somebody wants even more than what I got. (laughs) And uh, that was very, very liberating. Of course, you have to be judicious. But it's the other wonderful experience was Third Rock from the Sun, which was six years of really theater on television. It was uh, working with a superb ensemble of mostly theater actors and with a live audience right with a live audience and with terrific writers who who responded uh, so uh, so instinct reflexively to audience reaction Uh, Bonnie and Terry Turner who created the show remain my very best friends it was a wonderful experience Mm. but it was more a theater experience than film for sure yeah that's interesting and I mentioned in the introduction that your career is sort of impossible to summarize briefly because you sort of work all the time in a very widely diverse range of projects, mm-hmm. right? How do you choose what you work on? What? Well, there's less choice than you would think. I okay. mean, it's not like you're constantly offered things. Uh, but I, you know, there are many, many reasons to do something or to turn something down. Uh, Sometimes it's a good idea just to make money. You sometimes need to. Sometimes it's a big deal, so you go for that. But what you'd prefer to be the reason is because it's good material with good people. Can can you characterize the work that attracts you other beyond that? Is there anything other than that in terms of? Do you have a preferred genre or a? Uh, no, no. I I do like to mix it up. Mm-hmm. Um, I I was very excited to do stories by heart at this point because I have just done a lot of film and TV. What made you think of returning to it, actually? We didn't... uh, Well, I have always returned to it. uh, Have you done it periodically over the years? Yeah, over the years, I've done it about 100 times. Uh, I did a six-week run of it at the Mark Taper Forum about six or seven years ago. And mostly it's been 
little one-night stand tours. I would bunch together f- three, four, or five gigs. I had Stacy Levine uh, was my tour producer, and they would book me in these, you know, like once or twice a year I would go out and do a little skein of right. four shows. And as a result, I visited about three, 35 cities, that I, many of which I'd never been to before. It was very, extremely fun. Right. And performing it for very different audiences. The, the only problem with it was it didn't change much because if, if it, I was suddenly booked... I would suddenly realize, oh, I got to pull it together to do it in two weeks in Galveston or something. I, I would simply learn. It was all I could do just to learn the words and get it back up. It's a lot of work. So I wasn't really changing it. When I met with Todd Hames and said, Who's the artistic director here yes, at the Roundabout at Theater? Yes, the Roundabout. And I said, look, if ever something falls apart, you know, come find me. And I, you know, it'd be great to do it on Broadway. I always did nurse the ambition of doing it on Broadway, mm-hmm. but I also didn't think... Because the last time you did it in New York, it was off-Broadway, at yeah. Lincoln Center, right? Yeah, yeah, the first time I did it the at all. Time, yeah. And that was just seven Monday nights. Right, right. Uh, it was strictly a workshop. Right. And I wanted to sort of get some sort of closure, sort of get it out of my system. Although I, I've enjoyed it so much, I still, I'll still do it. Right. But now, when he booked me... And gave me the slot, and I thought, well, this is just absolutely perfect. Right. I knew I, it was time to get serious and to hire a director. Jack O'Brien had helped me get it started, but Jack is immersed in Carousel. Yep. So I called upon my really good friend, Dan Sullivan, whom I worked with four times. He even directed me in King Lear. Oh, yes, which you did right before um, Delicate Balance, That's as I right. recall, right? That's that summer right. in the park. Yeah, yeah. three years ago. Yeah. And, and Dan turned out to be... Well, as I knew it, he would be. He was a fantastic editor of the material and tightened it and turned it into a really wonderful, watchable evening. And we hired a staff. John Lee Beatty designed it. Right. Jess Goldstein designed uh, my my suit. You know, right. and uh, yeah. uh, Ken Posner lit it. It's a, it's a fantastic theater piece, mm-hmm. which I knew it had to be if I, if I were going to ask people mm-hmm. to pay Broadway prices for it. Mm-hmm. And that's transformed it. I mean, for one thing, it's like twenty minutes shorter. I always knew. Oh. I always knew I cannot ask people to watch me for this long, but I couldn't figure out how to cut it. Mm. Well, Dan knew exactly. <laughs> Snipped it right out. <laughs> he knew exactly what had to go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> when you get recognized on the street, what do you tend to get recognized for? Is there a project or two that it's is usually the, most... the, the the last hot thing? Because okay. anything you did ten years ago is gone. It's forgotten. Interesting. The more you can make peace with that, the better off you right. are. So is that the crown now? What is that? Oh, it's for very you? much the crown. Uh, Daddy's home too. Pitch Perfect <laughs> three. You right. know, right? Uh, trial and error. The silly uh, oh, yeah, NBC that, comedy yeah, I did that last, was last year. Season? Yeah. But I would say the crown overwhelmingly. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people say Dexter to me actually, and which Dexter, I recall your, and uh, your performance in as well, and yeah. Third Rock. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's it it tends to be the last thing. And you write as well. You've written a number of children's books, yeah. and you've written a memoir. Yeah. And, um, w- does that impulse stem from the same kind of storytelling impulse that you talk about in the show uh, in terms I, of your work as an actor? I don't have a strong impulse to write. I don't really like to write because it's, it's so painstaking. 
You know, the nice thing about acting is how completely irresponsible it is. <laughs> I mean, face facts. You have your lines written for you. Your, your, your day is scheduled. All you have to do is show up and be prepared for that. Uh, you know, it's, it, it, you're, you have to have courage to write your own material. I have such almost reverence of stand-up comedians, for example. I could, could not do that. It, to me, it takes such courage. Um, as I say, this is the first time I've really written from my own experience to connect with an audience, and it's a very rare thing. It doesn't sound like it's something you're desperate to do again? Uh, no, I'm not desperate to yeah. do it again. If, if, some, if the inspiration comes, I mean, there was a genuine inspiration here. Yeah. I, I really did want to do this, but I don't have that particular ambition. Uh, you know, I've had little spasms of that. I've written screenplays in my day that I tried to get people interested in. But you have to have tenacity. It has to be the one and only thing you want to do. And I have the, the, uh, the drawback of constantly being hired to act in something else. <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm a, I'm, I have the most distractible life. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, what have you got on your plate coming up? Nothing. You're, you're in this. Virtually nothing. I'm going to do Pangloss in a oh, Car uh, Carnegie Hall concert version of Candide. Of Candide. In, oh, great. Have April. you ever played that role before? No, and yeah. I've, I'm thrilled to yeah. do that. Um, and so you're in, uh, You're in. Uh, we should say you're in Stories by Heart until March 4th. Yeah, March 4th. Yep. It's a yeah. nice 10-week run. Yeah. yeah. And uh, to my amazement, I seem capable of doing eight shows a week. <laughs> yes, good, good. Because <laughs> it is a workout. Wow. Yeah. You may have noticed how deep and plummy my voice <laughs> is. Uh, but uh, no, I have no, nothing Nothing booked, uh, which is not a bid for work. I'm, I'm perfectly happy not to do anything for a while. Are there, specifically talking about stage work, are there uh, kind of roles that you've always wanted to play that you, like bucket list roles for you? The last answer I had for that was King Lear. Was King Lear. I was going to say, then, what else do you do after King Lear? now it's gone, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. I, I, you know, things come at me as such a ecstatic surprise. Winston Churchill. That was a phone call. Right from my agent saying that Stephen Daldry and Peter Morgan wanted me to play Churchill. This is out the of crown, the blue. Yeah. The for the, don't in know, in yes. the crown. And, uh, my God, that was the job of a lifetime. It mm. was so wonderful. Um, and I never would have dreamed that would have come my way. So I sit around, wait to be other people's brainstorms. Um, the very few times when I've done something, that has been entirely mine. One of them is Stories by Heart, which has been terrific. But rarely have my ideas been the best ideas. I, I, other people think of things for me that I didn't think I was capable of. And when you're challenged like that, you tend to have the most thrilling experiences. Well, we can't wait to see what you do next. Well, Thanks, thank John. you. Nice I hope we talk you. about it next time. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's great. Nice Jordan. to talk to you, John. Thank you. Thank you. It was terrific. That was John Lithgow talking about his solo show on Broadway, Stories by Heart, playing at the American Airlines Theater through March 4th. On the next episode of Stagecraft, I'll be talking to Victor Garber, the stage and screen veteran who's recently stepped into the smash revival of Hello, Dolly! 
Until then, see you at the theater. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.